Were you ever asked, who has the right to rule? We are told autocracy is wrong. No individual has the right to have absolute power. We are told all persons are created equal and therefore, no one person has a right to rule his fellows, at least without their consent. But we are not told who ought to rule. Who has the right, the legitimate and justified, right to rule? What we are told is that it is, we the people, who have the power of the vote. This is not the same as the right to rule. Even if we can elect our rules, democracy does not tell us who ought to be elected. We are told all persons have the right to vote. We are told that the vote of the majority legitimizes the government, at least in a liberal democracy. But we are never told just why this is so. What is in the vote that a majority opinion bestows legitimacy on the victor? There are a considerable number of situations in which the will of the majority is not only irrelevant, but improper, illegal, and unwanted. Majority votes do not decide who lives or dies in a hospital or who owns a car. The government does not take a vote on who can or cannot be a citizen. Scientists do not vote on scientific truths. Even in most democracies, once the citizen has cast his or her vote, his role in government is put on hold. In fact, liberal governments have no qualms about quashing protests or attempts to impact governments directly by we the people. Representative government exists because the will of the people is nebulous, largely irrelevant, and too difficult to ascertain. There are few or no questions that can reasonably be settled by a majority vote. Toppings on a pizza being one of the few exceptions. Even in Parliament there is rarely such a thing as a democratic vote. Vote is tied to party and reflects party ideology. Modern peoples have been trained to respond to queries about government with platitudes such as we the people and to associate the people's will with democracy. But democracy is a complex term. It encompasses many nations embracing many methods of selecting leaders. All the forms of government are considered to be democratic though they differ widely in how elections are held and the form the government takes. The West went through a long and complicated process to get to where it now is, all of it considered to reflect democracy. But a trend is not hard to discern. In the earliest of times, people assumed the only being with the authority to rule was God. Because the will of God was difficult to translate into policy, it became the norm for a religious leader to determine the will of God in a particular matter. This was by a process called divination though often this was a way to discern who the tribe thought was evil. Tribal headman was pretty much a one-person job. The right to the job was difficult to establish. The prophet or headman ruled mostly because of his charisma. But as to whether he was the voice of God or a scam artist was difficult for his followers to ascertain. But so long as all was well with the tribe, the difference was ignored. A religious leader is dependent on the tacit support of the tribe. If they failed to deliver results, there was no barrier between them and the dissatisfied. Eventually, political leaders rose to prominence. The needs of warfare demanded a strong male leader and strong male leaders are not easily intimidated by rights and gibberish or by small cliques of dissatisfied males. Because the political leader had the resources and the military, he gradually became the dominant voice in the tribe. In biblical times, the religious leader could and did influence the secular leader, but the influence was periodic and episodic and often relied on the personal status of the prophet or other religious authority. 
The gods in most tribal societies did not play an important role in the formation of policy. When the autocratic religious leader was replaced by an autocratic secular ruler, usually a king, there was a need and ability to extend the size of the government. Secularism gave rulers a more stable platform and a way to allocate administrative power. It is harder for a religious autocrat to share authority and to create a bureaucracy than it was for a secular leader to create an administrative hierarchy, except where administrative and religious roles were combined. The secular leader whose power is based on military might is free to add assistance and rules as are required. His supporters know he is solidifying his power base. But the secular leader still experiences competition. The secular leader's authority is in fact more likely to be called into question, especially if he loses a war, than a religious leader's is. As the divinity of Rome's leaders was questioned, their dethroning became more acceptable and more common. Rome became difficult to rule as power became solely a question of who had the support of the greater part of the army. The more power a subordinate got, the less willing he was to remain a subordinate. If a ruler cannot instill loyalty in the greater portion of the people, he is not able to rule. Herein lays the entire problem. A ruler must command loyalty, but fealty to the ruler requires a type of devotion few men can invoke without bribes. The devotee becomes part of a mass identity. If a leader cannot cause his followers to sublimate their identity, he will not be followed. This ought to give us pause, because who can serve as the archetype for all persons on earth? And if an individual cannot serve as the archetypical human, how big or small of a group can he or she command? Who will represent the remainder? How many leaders are needed to represent the intersectional identities of man? Do we expect these groups not to clash? The Bible talks of the abomination of desolation, and while there is an historical precedent for this, the idea of an evil archetype is suggested the abomination of desolation destroys individuality replacing personhood with a patent identity owned and administrated by the state. The evil archetype is our legal identity needed for identification purposes and employment. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 3-4 to Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Who rules is not just a theological issue. The issue of power has more to do with economics. Power depends on having control over property. The question as to whom has the right to rule is a question as to who has the right to the property of earth. All power must ultimately rest on the control of real property. If we know anything for certain, it is that the world was here before we existed. If earth existed before humans, by claiming power over property we are claiming power over something found, not over something we formed. We know such a person is a thief. There is only one word and one word only for claiming something found. Everything of value belongs to someone and in the case of the physical world, the owner is God. None of what is natural belongs to man. We might get into a debate who owns the earth, but there is no debate concerning who does not own it. No person or human contrivance owns any part of the natural world. The ownership of earth cannot be justified even when legitimized by law. The thief steals and then kills or physically harms anyone who challenges the theft.
there is much confusion about what the left is doing. Conservatives get tied up in the details. What liberals want is what they have always wanted. Liberals want the earth. They want to own it. The best expression of this desire to sit in the high place of God is communism. Communism is not about state ownership. It is about the total revocation of all rights of man to what he creates. This is actually the key to the unseating of God. The total subjugation of mankind as subjects to the state is the ultimate goal of globalism, communism, and the social justice agenda. The truth is, if we admit no human is entitled to own the earth, though he may claim it by force, we are faced with a troublesome truth. If we cannot claim to own what we DD not create, it does not matter if the thing claimed was created by someone else rather than by God. We own only what we create as God owns what he formed. Man adds value to the things of God. This act of creation defines a citizen. Subjects are not citizens. Subjects are the property of a state. A citizen is a creator of a political jurisdiction. A political jurisdiction is a body of created value produced by citizens. It is the citizen that is the rightful owner and therefore also the rightful ruler of a political jurisdiction. Is ownership alienable? Can a citizen abdicate or rescind his authority as owner and administrator of what he formed? Owners can appoint a trustee or give someone power of attorney over his or her specific property, but this is an individual act specific to a specific property right. A transfer of power cannot be perpetual or irreversible. The bottom line is that political jurisdictions are human creations. But as creations, they are not a product of all persons. The citizens who produce the equity that adds value to the assets of a community are its leaders, rulers, and administrators. Citizens tap waterfalls for electricity, turn trees into lumber, and so on. Citizens are the builders, fabricators, and engineers. Citizens are of the same substance as a worker and serve as employees of the political jurisdiction in which he or she resides. It is the creator of value the citizen who has the right to rule because this right is no more than the right to spend what one earns. Just rule is spending what one earns, and unjust rule is expropriating the wealth others earned to provide value to spend. It is as simple and as final as that. 